Cause, uh, put my quarter in here for him. He's got your time to own. Own? We, uh, we're, not, we're not doing real well in time. I brought, I got y'all a little uh, thing here that I uh, felt like that I, I, I tried to just take it out. So did me, I can see uh -huh. that. Yes, sir. I figured if we were in a kind of elderly club that, uh, I'll find it and that we needed to make sure that those letters were real big. I'm glad you got it. Wait a minute, I, I can't see that. You don't have to take your glasses off to kind of reduce <laughs> I don't know, maybe Lisa will come and she'll be right here. I think she's coming, but she's all right. Uh, she's the reason I'm late. Can I ask you a question? Sure. It says here, confirming uh, that ourselves by the word and the spirit, we are to discern good from evil. Holy Spirit is the down payment, uh, confirming God's promise that you are a part of this salvation. Apart from this salvation? Where? where uh, what? Number four. Number four. Then, number four says apart, the meaning we're separated from. Number four. Well, yeah, maybe maybe we need to uh, take your pencil out and put a line right there. A part of this salvation. Yeah. Well, very good, Bob. Um, like I said, you know, I'll, I I I thought I decided to print this and give it to you rather than me just say these words and you not hear them really. Okay. So if you had something written, yeah. And that's okay. Plenty of mistakes ahead. He's already <coughs> one to nothing. <laughs> so, oh, well, we always keep score. We're Auburn fans. Uh, you know, well, you know, we don't win all that often. Um, anyway, um, I wanted to just for you to kind of think about some of these things because we've had a lot of this good discussion, I think, on various subject matters and you know, I'm being pressurized on the uh, concept of all of the festivals being taught versus what we are teaching now on Rosh Hashanah, <clears throat> which is a, to me, personally, I believe that Rosh Hashanah is probably one of the most important festivals we could understand. Yeah. I mean, they're all important, but this one is a life changer in the essence of what's actually taking place at this, in when the fullness of time comes. So, you know, we all know that we're engaged in a, uh, a real battle between our flesh and spirit, you know, and we will be until the day that we don't have our uh, fallen nature within us. But as we uh, go down this road and this journey, you know, hopefully these things that we are doing um, are there to really solidify our faith in that God is in control and no matter what we see here in this world and the end of the day, he's winning and we're winning and sometimes it feels like we're losing but you know, ultimately it has to be this way in order for him to bring about his kingdom to earth, okay? And um, so I wanted to uh, throw these out here and I'll read them number one. The study of God's word lead, leads us to spiritual understanding on how to live righteous lives. If a person comes to Christ and, you know, he's from 5 to 75, and he comes down the aisle and he says, I want to be baptized and, you know, give my life to Christ, then, you know, from that point forward, 
Uh, we believe that the, he, he receives the Spirit of God. We may not see it, but, you know, um, uh, we have to believe that the Word says that's part of the transition. But he then is a baby, and therefore he has no other place to go except verbal teachings from people that he listens to, whether it be TV, Internet, whatever, and really in the Word of God and the interpretation of the Word of God. You know, you know, when you're a baby Christian, and none of us here are baby Christians really, and, you know, but they're looking at things like, oh, it's just so complex, and, you know, it's a big book, you know, it's this big, you know, and, and so forth and so on. So, you know, where are they going to go? Well, they're going to have to go and begin the process of dissecting piece by piece, you know, precept upon precept, and, um, and, you know, and it's God's word. Now, notice I said, lead us to spiritual understanding on how to live righteous lives. In other words, I define that is, is that the letter of the law killeth, the spirit giveth life, you know. So, you know, we have to find uh, what it is that God is communicating uh, and and it's and, and that's very complex. I mean, that's not something simple to say. It's easy to say, but not necessarily uh, easily done. But in that, we're going to learn how to live our lives, how to how to make a decision that we say is a godly decision. You know, we look to the Word to validate. Just like our a little bit of example of you know, we don't go move our, our neighbor's boundary market. Why? Well, marker uh, because God says we don't do that. It's wrong, you know. So, you know, we, we have to have some basis for having order. Without order, you have chaos, and, and it's the Word of God that brings order. So, number two, the Word through the Spirit reveals the hand of God working to bring salvation to creation. And I say that because sometimes I think we think of ourselves as the main you know, oh man, this, man, that, but really it's not just man, it's all of creation. You know, God has created the world and the heavens and the heavens and the earth and that, you know, uh, even though we know he's king and he's king over everything and he rules the show, he is still has a fallen world through the disobedient in the earth and man is a part of that but so is his creation. His creation, as it says, is yearning for the coming of the Lord. So the salvation that's coming is for the entire world as we know it. That's something that is really emphasized in Rosh Hashanah because that's why we see it happening at the first day of the first month and part of the liturgy in Rosh Hashanah and the services deal with the fact that it's God taking the throne over his creation and ruling. Now, most of us would say, well, he already is. He, he rules. But it's a reenactment of the thought or the, 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 the truth of him at a, at a certain point actually uh, taking control and implementing. And that's why in the last days he says he's going to pour out his spirit. Well, has it already happened? Careful. No, no, no. It's a loaded question. No. Yes, it has. <laughs> so it, it has happened. Yeah. 
right? So you're saying it has happened even though we're not in the last days? Or are we in the last days? Are, aren't we in the last days? According to the Bible, we're in the last days. Yeah. Well, I'd say that we're, we have become spiritual members of Israel, citizens of Israel, the spiritual Israel, and we are being prepared for the kingdom. So we're already into, under God's tutelage, and he is, he is training us up for a purpose. But all of us are trained up for purpose. And the spirit is in us that gives us the understanding of that and gives us the strength to overcome the, uh, the, the let's say, the garbage of the world. Yeah. You know? So the word through the spirit is revealing the hand of God working to bring about redemption to his creation. Okay? And and so uh, we have to bear in mind that the festivals are really showing you what God is going to be doing at certain points in times. You know, just like Passover was uh, an event that came out of Egypt. So that story becomes a prophetic picture of the future. It's no longer about Egypt. It's this great salvation that's going to take place in the future. But that story is laying the foundations to the pieces of the puzzle that's leading to the major event, that was just the beginning, not the end. So, you know, the difficulty is is looking in through to the Word and through the Spirit, seeing that which is revealing that which is yet to come. And that's what they say in Colossians, that these are a shadow of things to come. So, you know, that's what we're looking for, but... You know, we have the literal word. Bud always uses the famous say, uh, saying, uh, you know, if your uh, ha- uh, hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Or if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Everybody got two hands? <laughs> yeah. So literally, if we're going to be obedient, I've got an axe and we'll use it. If y'all want to follow it to that letter of the law, Right. And I'm sure, really, if you got right down to it, it's truth. You would be better off if it's going to lead you to hell. (laughs) But we're not going to go that far. Obviously, he doesn't mean it to that literal point or everybody would be blind and have no hands. Because, you know, sin does lead us to do these things, you know, and uh, that's part of the the nature that uh, we have. Uh, Number three, man, through receiving the Holy Spirit is a part of this restoration. See, I did that one right if you read number three. (laughs) Number four was just, uh, you know, a further thought. Man, through receiving the Holy Spirit, is a part of the restoration. You know, in other words, when we receive the Spirit, or they did it back at the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, you know, the, the restoration was beginning. And I would tell you, and, and, you know, I'd love to, but, you know, I, I do these things, but, there's, you know, we've got so many things to look at. But Acts 2 and the sermons that he preached, you know, there in Jerusalem really, really talks about the fact that, you know, uh, what, what this is saying right here, that, that uh, they are to receive, uh, repent and receive this Jesus, you know, for the purpose of the restoration or they say it to uh, the restitution, 
you know, really when you look at all these words, it's really about the restoration, the redemption and restoration of the world. And it's coming through Jesus. And that's what Peter is really telling the men of Israel. And uh, so in receiving the Holy Spirit, you become immediately, as Bob just said, a part of God's restoration of mankind and the creation. He's doing the work. We're doing the work also with him, but we don't do it apart from him, which is the number four. The Holy Spirit is a down payment. We're told that uh, that the Holy Spirit is a down payment until the day of redemption. You know, we should be, we can take that in a literal sense and say, oh, well, yeah, that means when when he comes and, you know, we'll we'll get something more. But actually there was biblically a connection there. That's what you should be learning. When it says the day of redemption, there's specifically time frames in the Bible, in the festivals that deal with the day of redemption. It's a, uh, a, a phrase that is attached to those days or those festivals. So we can either let, read, read it as, eh, you know, the day of redemption, yeah, it'll come, but it's like really saying something that's targeting our minds to a particular set of events that are already uh, the foundations being laid for. Giving us the time frame. I always say the timeline for when God is going to begin to unfold these things. So, uh, that are part of the salvation by the word and the spirit, we are to discern good from evil. And I think this is a part of Lucille's. You know, she has the Holy Spirit, and we all do too. And we all agree that, you know, we should be able to, uh, you know, to discern good from evil. And we do all have a sense that that's not right. And I'm not trying to politicize things, but what happened at the Capitol, you know, on one end of the deal was the other side wanted to really paint this evil picture, you know. And most people that were probably on the other side were going, now, wait a second. He didn't. He didn't do that. Where and, and the real evil in that whole thing that happened on that day, if they said it was pre-planned, the question should be, who pre-planned it? That's where the evil lies. But see, we're trying to look at all of these things from a, a really a, a, a believer's perspective, and we got to discern like, you know, because I got people that I know that are friends of mine that would see the other side of that and think, I'm just, I can't believe you just can't see this. And I'm like, no, I can't believe that you're that crazy that you would see it the other way. You know, and we're like worlds apart. And, and there's like this line that, you know, we, we can't cross, you know, between each other. And it's very upsetting to me, you know. I you know, get to a point I'm just fed up with it. Don't even want to talk to them anymore. You know, separate, you know. But anyway, um, very interesting. So uh, that next statement says there are consequences for sin in this body. We had a lady that worked for us and uh, a long time ago in the business we were in, and, and, and she was adamant about she didn't sin. She was a child of God. And <laughs> we'd always say, Really? You know, and it's like, uh, and I think it's in First John chapter 5. It says that if you think you don't sin, then you're really calling God a liar. That's what John's telling us. And um, 
My point is, is that as a believer, you know, and a follower of Jesus Christ as we profess, that when we sin and we have to, we have to think about sin in the basis of what God says sin is, which means his word, when we sin, there are consequences for our sins. Doesn't mean we lose our salvation, but there are consequences for it, period. That's all there is to it. That The Bible teaches that plainly, I believe. You know, um, we, we don't have the right to say, well, I'm going to go out and commit adultery, and in doing so, uh, it gets known to, you know, uh, brought forth or whatever, you know, in my life. And then the next thing, my my wife is, her whole world is broken apart and she's having to go out and find a way to make a living on her own. And <laughs> I'm really doing a good job on this, you know. Thank you, honey. And, uh, <laughs> but you, you know. Very she's got it all. <laughs> no, no, you got that story wrong. You don't have anything left. And, uh, so. Oh, he forgot to say that part. <laughs> he did everything first. <laughs> That's the sin, the consequences. But, uh, you know, but it's the truth. There are, you know, y- your sins have consequences. It doesn't matter who we are. doesn't mean that we're not, um, it just doesn't, we're not perfect yet. We're going to do things wrong. But perfect means complete. That I hear from many Christians is they say, "Well, you know, I'm a sinner, and you know, you know how I am," and, and they always build an excuse for doing something. But if you go to Paul, he tells us that the sinners are those who haven't come to Christ. When we come to Christ, we may sin, but we're not sinners; we're the saints. But we are conscious of the sin, and we I should believe, be. Yeah, and I believe you can lose your salvation when you turn your back on God. Not when you stumble and fall and that, but when you go to somebody, you want to witness them and bring them to Christ, you say, well, I'm a sinner just like you. Then they say, well, why should I come and do what you do? Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. We're not sinners. We are saints who may stumble in our walk. And as we walk more and more, we get stronger and stronger because the Holy Spirit is there. Because sometimes uh, the Holy Spirit, I use the two-by-four to get my attention, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, and and, uh, and and as I said, uh, no matter how we look at it, there are consequences to our sin. You know, we 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 when we sin, we actually uh, 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 disgrace God uh, in His holiness and righteousness, and we we we're doing what really He doesn't want us to do, but He understands our our situation. And I believe, uh, and I'm 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 one that believes that. Uh, God is able to keep us in his hand and it may look real bad. You may have to go through, go through hell, but when you come out the other side, uh, he's still going to be there to pull you up out of the mud and, uh, and restore you. That's all he's looking for is for you to stand up and walk, right? So, um, you know, but there are constant. Then number five, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are being trained in righteousness for his glory. So, obviously, you know, the job of the Holy Spirit is to help us to learn how to walk 
And it's not just because we can say, aren't we wonderful? It's because of the fact that it's to his glory. You know, a, a true loving servant, and I think many of the stories are about the difference between true loving servants of God that he's chosen to give us these stories, like David and Jonathan, and uh, to uh, show us what true love looks like and what true love doesn't look like. So, um, you know, these are just things that kind of, to me, help us to bridge the, uh, what I call somebody outside of God's spirit, you know, an individual, you know, and uh, people that are, you know, to know where I'm coming from because that's just what I believe. These came from me in a sense of the word. I, I wrote them down, and I want to share them with you to where we could, uh, you know, get that firmly in our minds about what, where I'm from. So, that being said, you know, let us move forward on and what we're trying to get through, which, boy, turned into a lot. Um, you know... I know that this is probably a controversial statement, and I didn't include it over there because I didn't want to. Um, but um, when Jesus returns and sits, what I believe, upon the throne of David, and if you read Acts 2 sermon, you're going to see that it's telling you that he is going to sit upon David's throne. Now, there are a lot of people that have a real problem with that because they they don't they don't they cannot they cannot bridge the law and the government of God that was given to Israel and Jesus who apparently buried all of that and it's not part of the tr- discussion and it's a new deal over here and you know so they can't deal with what happens in what we've given in scriptures between especially in Ezekiel 40 and 48 and Micah and uh, many other passages that talk about in the end of days when Jesus returned that the law, the Torah, will go forth from Jerusalem, the word of the Lord from Israel, okay? And I believe that the Torah, as we know it, will be observed as the government of God on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that's a controversial statement for people that believe that that which was is no longer. I don't believe that. Jim, go ahead and ask that question. I got another. (laughs) Are you going off target already? Yeah. You, you know, God's ultimate goal was to have a earthly heaven, right? Family. Excuse me. Earthly family. Yeah, I, 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 earthly heaven, earthly family. That his uh, that that his will would be done both on heaven and earth. Amen. Whatever that means. Well, that you know, that's what he's striving. But there's always these hiccups along the way. Right. That we've always have have to come back and say. Lord, forgive us, you know, and, and it just, we're not there yet. So we had to see what sin looked like in order for us to know what sin was. Didn't know that we needed a redeemer. Right. Okay. Right. Agreed. Uh, is that it? That's it. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you, I thought you were going to get uh, a controversial on me. <laughs> I'll ask you a difficult question. All right. 
when you said that Jesus is is going to sit on David's throne. Could you conceive that was David was on the throne at one time and Jesus is going to replace him on the throne next to God? Well, uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure of the idea. You know, when we say, you know, uh, uh, and I, I, I tried to abridge this, I think, last week at the end, maybe, if I can remember back at four, the most difficult thing is the idea, you know, when we say, well, God is sitting on his throne. And then he says, the earth is my footstool. Okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty big throne. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. My earth is my footstool. So when we, when, when we envision the creator, we want to take him and place him in creation. And yet, he's above creation because he's, in a sense, if you want to take it from a more of a mythological mindset, you know, he's looking down, in a sense, up over his creation, all of it, okay. heaven and earth. Okay. And so then, yet he says that there's a, 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 a new Jerusalem that is in heaven or the pattern that they were building the temple for was in heaven, and therefore, you know, there's this so-called pattern or something that's visible that's in the spiritual realm up above. And so when we speak about David or the son of David or in all the passages where he uses the language that of David, you know, it's the, uh, in a sense, the ultimate um, hierarchy of power uh, upon the earth from Jerusalem, which is going to be the ultimate authority over the earth. Now, at David's time, it was Israel, but the picture is much bigger. It's the God's plan is for the whole world, not not just that God so loved the world, right? So when we talk about Israel being lifted up among chief among all the nations, well, you know, we we look at. Israel today, and well, they're very secular, and they're this and that. That's going to change. God's going to do a work over there that's going to be compared to, you know, nothing. He's going to deal with them first, and then he's going to deal with the whole world. But then when, when Jesus returned, he's going to sit upon that established throne on that place where God chose to play, place his name. And it's going to be his agent. In other words, we call it the Messiah, but it really is just the term, the anointed one. And the anointed one was always being seen as the king. That's why we say the son of God is a title for the king. Now, if we try to impose, the, the and this is the difficulty, when he says, you've, when you've seen me, you've seen the father, we go, well, there he is. He's saying he's God. No, he didn't say. He said, my actions and my perfect action and word and deed is exactly what the Father wants us to have and be like, you know? So when David obviously doesn't, in my opinion, have any right to sit upon that throne, you know, he was just like, I hate to say it, he was just like us. But he had a heart for God, but he wasn't a great person when you study his, you know, line and history, you know? 
I'd probably get, uh, I'd be broken under a bridge if I took some of his actions. But, you know, um, but, but, the, the, but he's an example that when God said that there will always be one that will sit upon David's throne became a promise. You know, it's the Davidic promise. And really, I guess we're just going to have to go over here to Acts and read, you know, which I think is very important because of where it's at in, in the happenings of the day of Pentecost. And uh, I'm going to try to quickly find it because always there's two sermons here. And I think that it will be found... 14, 14 is Peter's sermon. Well, it's Acts 2. Yeah, 2.14. Yeah. 14. Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Well, yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm looking for the exactness of the phrase. Let's just read uh, 22, and if not, it's in the other one. It says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God by, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Think about these words from the empowered Peter which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you, but God set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by the nailing him on uh, to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep, keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And you have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with your joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. You need to read that again. That he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And therefore, and I'm adding on right here uh, as a stopping point, that's why you see that the lineages and genealogies go back to through David. They're making an established genealogy that he actually qualifies to be this one, all right? That's very important to the Jewish people. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured that of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brother, what shall we do? And he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for whom the Lord our God will call. And we, we go on. And, but you see there that, you know, part of the uh, redemption of Israel is to fulfill the promises that God has made and, and therefore a descendant of David, which they're telling you is going to be Messiah, Jesus, when he's raised from the dead, he's going to sit upon that throne. Now, their people have, like I say, they don't think, well, no, he's not going to be on an earthly throne. That'll be somebody else. You know, no, that would be, to me, that's like, you know, really? You know, we got this golden age. We got new heaven and new earth creation of what things are happening. Now we're going to get some guy we don't even know going to sit on the throne. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. He's, the scripture tells us he's going to rule and reign. And the reason Jerusalem is because the Abrahamic covenant says the inheritance that we have will be the land which was deeded to the Hebrews for a purpose. That's right. The kingdom is going to be there, and the millennium kingdom, which is the thousand-year reign, which Christ will be the, the king and the uh, priest of, in the order of Melchizedek, and that will take place from Jerusalem, and God is in heaven, and Jesus will be on the earth, and we as believers are part of that inheritance. That's what, and Christ died to overcome death not to re relieve our sins because if he was there to relieve our sins everybody in the world would be free of sin but we have to come to Christ and we're brought there by God and we have to repent before God and that's how we raise up with the Holy Spirit and I would agree with everything you said except for the fact that it says when he returns he will not be a priest you know that he will be a king he yeah. says it'd be in the order of Melchizedek. Yeah, that, that, that was the essence of the order that was uh, a kingly priest. But when he returns, uh, he will sit upon the throne. Now, I want you to turn over to Micah uh, 4 because, you know, this is a, a part of the um, story. Any way we want to look at it. I think that, you, you you know, part of what the difficulty is in the um, mindset of people when you talk about Torah or you talk about Moses or any of these things is that they see that as a strict legalism. You know, they, they see you, if you're trying to observe something, they see that as legalism. Oh, you don't have to do that. And that's like, really? You know, even though he said it through his word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, apparently divine and all that, we're not supposed to try to do that. Is that right? You know, well, that makes no sense either. But, and uh, so I do believe that when Jesus came, the reason that one of his titles is the teacher of righteousness is that he is here to make straight the way of the Lord and to actually correctly, I'm going to say it again, correctly interpret Torah on our, for our lives. You don't, that, that is a, that's a connecting thing. It's not a dividing thing. It's not a, let's get away with this system. It's no good. And let's create our own system that we make our own rules. Well, that's, not a part of what I believe God is communicating. 
And we can't have it both ways. We can't say, well, when he returns, we're going to be engaged in doing uh, our own thing. No, we're not. We're going to be engaged in doing it God's way. And I believe fully that in these last days, and I pray and hope even before his return, that he is going to begin to pour out his spirit in greater measure. It's going to go back to being like it was in the very beginning of the church, that there's going to be things that are going to take, especially during the tribulation. When you get into the latter part of the tribulation, there's going to be no doubt about what a man of God is supposed to be doing. There's going to be no, the gray area is going to start to disappear but he is going to pour out his spirit in greater measure and empower them in ways that we cannot comprehend. I believe that. I, I, pro, I would love to see that prior to us, I believe, leaving here. But, you know, and I'm not saying he isn't doing it now, but, you know, I, I'm talking about, you know, turning it on full power. But anyway, let's read uh, uh, Micah chapter 4, verse 1. Now, you see these, this phrase, in the last days. And it doesn't need to be um, debated. You know, it, it, you can take the, the, the week of creation and or any week that we have, when we get to Wednesday, Wednesday in our, week, in our work week, and we all know these little phraseology, was given a, a specific name. And what was it called? Uh, just a... Uh, the, 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 the day of, you know, Wednesday in our work week. It was called the hump day. That's because we're going to the latter part of the week, right? Hallelujah, right? <laughs> and so when we talk about the week of creation, when you get past the fourth day and we look at it in a larger scope of the day as a thousand years, when we get past 4,000 years, oh, that's when Jesus came from creation. We now enter into the last days. Thousand, thousand, and the final thousand being the millennial kingdom. So we're in the last days. And they all saw this. You know, so in, when, when, when Micah's writing this, they weren't in the last days. Because they hadn't even reached the year 4,000 from creation at that point in time. But notice what he said. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. Now, there are those that would tell you, we don't need a temple. We're the temple of God. And that, you know, we've moved on. We, that was then, and now we're here, and we're, that's what the main message was. And yet, they're telling you right here, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. In other words, his temple is God, his, his place that he's chosen to place his name. It's not that we are a temple too, but we don't, have the power to eradicate the importance of what he's doing on that mountain. We don't have that authority. And so he goes on to say it will be raised above the hills and the, and the word peoples, and my Bible could be nations, will stream to it. Well, that's really interesting because in the festivals, 
you know, especially the pilgrim festivals. What are the pilgrim festivals, people? What's number one? And number two? And number three? (laughs) 75%. (laughs) Feeds of Tabernacle, right? Well, you know, part of the, um, you know, the ceremonial uh, deal uh, that took place in those pilgrim festivals, especially at the day of Pentecost, was the fact that they that Israel was divided into 24 districts. 12 tribes, 24 districts, 24 Levitical cities. Jim, you're looking at me like you ain't never heard that why, before. Why, why 24 versus 12? Of 24. I, why 24 elders? <laughs> I mean... <Okay. laughs> That's the way God designed it. You can go read that. That's in Chronicles. He he, divi- he broke them. It's kind of like you got uh, uh, somebody for the north, somebody for the south. But the bottom line is there were 24 Levitical cities and 24 districts where they were. And part of the ceremony or the procession was that these people, you know, when it came to the pilgrim festival, would begin to stream out of their villages and so forth and so on, and they would first come to the Levitical cities. And there they would meet as a group, and then out of that Levitical cities, they would begin to stream out of those Levitical cities as they came down to Jerusalem, or came up. You know, you always go up to Jerusalem. And, um, uh, and so, you're, you know, that in itself is a picture of what you just read. But it's being enlarged to include all the nations of the world. So there's a day coming, and we're told in Zechariah 14, that if, the, if you don't come up for the Feast of Tabernacle, there will be no rain upon your land. Sounds like a curse to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a penalty for not following God's law. And therefore, you know, but the nations of the world are going to come up. You know, and this is a... This is basically what it's saying there, where it says it will be raised above the hill, and many nations will come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Well, I would tell you that the first thing you need to see is these people believe or they're exemplifying a person that's being obedient because they're coming up. If they didn't, they just say, we're not going up there, that's ridiculous. And, uh, but they're coming up. And they're coming up for the purpose that he's going to teach them. And this is part of the name and the title of the fact that Jesus is the teacher of righteousness. And he's going to correctly instruct them on what it means to keep Torah or to be Torah observant. He's not going to say, well, have you done something good for your neighbor lately? I mean, you know, that's a little bit cavalier, but I'm not going to say he wouldn't include it. But, I mean, there's just so much more to it, you know. Uh, He's going to learn, they're going to learn the ways of God. Notice what it said. The law, and I'm sure if you looked that up in your Hebrew, it would say the Torah will go out from Zion, 
the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And you kind of see the play on the, uh, the, the um, no, there's a word for that. Um, but anyway, how the, the law, the Torah, will go out from Zion, and then it changes it up, but it says the same thing, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Same in a sense, the same way, connecting Torah with word. So you're seeing that this is what's going to happen. They're going to come up, he's going to teach them, and they're going to go back into the nations of the world learning Torah. (laughs) I know that's hard for us. And he will judge between many nations and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. Boy, where have we heard that before? In a smaller scale. You got any, does your mind tell you, where, where? As, as Rabbi Forum says, let's play a little game. Where have we heard that before? You know, remember Moses. When he came out of, the, out of Egypt, he was there, and I think it's in Numbers 18, where he's telling them, you know, he's judging between the peoples. And if Jethro comes up and says, You're gonna, it's just going to kill you. You can't do this. We need to spread this out and let other people help you. You know, and that's where the 70 elders are anointed. But that's exactly what he was doing. He was judging between the... This is just a much bigger picture. You know, as God says, it's too small of a thing just to do with this. This is going to be worldwide. And so he goes on and he says... Will settle disputes for strong nations, far and wide, and they will beat their swords into plowshares. Gee, is that a clue? You know, that must be the millennium us Christians have been talking about. And their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, they'll be keeping those vines and those trees, and everything's going to be full of fruit, you know. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And that's a praise the Lord. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. And all the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So, where have you seen every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree? Where have you seen that before? It's really a very important phrase. Come on, come on. We got to show it again, huh? Come on, John. No mumbling now. I gotta, I gotta hear those words, huh? Up on the tree. He was in a tree when he heard it. Oh, Jim's over here cheating. Well, you know, uh, you know, turn, turn up, huh? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Jim. You're cheating. Go ahead. Tell him. Huh? Yeah. 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 Bingo. Yeah. So, so when John, when Jesus calls his disciples in John, right? He comes up to the point, and we, if you want to turn over there to John. In uh, chapter 1, he comes to the point that, and I think there's an incredible little story here that 
is really overlooked and it's really found in the terminology if you can buy into this if you read the fact that John 1 and the word became flesh and you you go to verse 29 it says the next day you go to verse 35 it says the next day and you go to verse 43 and it says the next day and now you're on what day out of all those days, day four, right? Mm-hmm. So, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew, Peter was from the town of Bethsaida, and Philip fr- found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. That's pretty astounding, Right? John uh, 1, I mean, yeah, 1, uh, verse 44. You know, these are, these are fishermen. Obviously, they've been studying a little bit, and they had an understanding. The thing that they had that we do not have today is the people as a whole had a, an ongoing, uh, you know, um, uh, how do I say this, uh, um, uh, uh, thought process or understanding of what God was doing in and amongst them. Now, were they all the same in their beliefs? No, they were not. But there were certain things that they all agreed upon, even down to the point that the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. The Pharisees did. Major difference. But they were all, the Sadducees at this time, were really more in government control and power than the Pharisees were. So, you know, this was a major difference. But here, notice that these little guys who were really just fishermen, you know, kind of like builders, um, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found one Moses wrote about in the Torah. So, you know, all of a sudden, obviously, they understood that Jesus represented a biblical character that Moses had referred to would come, right? Right? And I also wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, there's son of people that believe that when he's saying that, he's not, he's not necessarily saying the son of Joseph and Mary. That there were the idea in Judaism that there was going to be an anointed one that would come forth that would be called the son of Joseph, a messiah. And I believe this is why John is saying, are you here or shall we expect another? You know, the son of Joseph was going to be the suffering servant. You know, the son of David was going to be the conquering king. Now, whether or not that is a, actually what he meant, we'll find out when we get there. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. And others say, well, there you go. He's referring to Nazareth. You know, that means, uh, you know, son of um, Joseph and Mary's, uh, you know, uh, Jesus. But I don't think they knew, knew who Jesus was. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false, or no, no uh, your, your Bible may say, uh, no guile. I don't know what you have but that the NIV said nothing false in other words he's perfect and that's interesting 
And he said, how do you know me? And Nathanael asked, and Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, that's a really strange answer. Like, like saying, yeah, I saw him sitting over there under the fig tree, so he, nothing false about this guy whatsoever, which doesn't really make any sense unless you understood that in Judaism they understood the phrase from Micah that every man shall sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and that was a reference to the messianic kingdom that would come. And then Nathaniel declared, which is even, even more outlandish to think, he goes, oh, so you saw me sitting on the fig tree, and he says, Rabbi, or really, teacher, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And I want you to see there, he's not saying like we say when we say son of God. This is the Hebrew parallelism that we were looked back uh, earlier about the law. He's saying the same thing. They equate the son of God and the king of Israel as the same thing. But this was capitalized where others aren't. Yeah, son. I'm sure that was probably done by the translators. Oh, and, okay. you know, uh, but, but the bottom line is, is that, you know, he... He possibly did not have any knowledge of what we call uh, that particular doctrine. I, I, I don't know where she see, any, but we can go to the scripture and see where Jesus, uh, God, declared that the king would be his son, you know, and would be the son of God, and which was a common thing in all of the power structures of all civilizations that. You know, the, the Pharaoh or the king was the son of God because he was actually incarnate of the God from heaven in their mind. So then Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I'll tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Right? Now, where have you seen that before? Huh? In that, in that type of language. That I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Oh, we have them. Oh, Jim, are you going to... Before we go to the sea it again, I want you to notice that chapter 2, put there by man, says on the third day, a wedding took place. So what day is that after we got to the fourth day? That would be the seventh day. Do you understand what I'm saying when I'm saying that? Yeah, you know, I, I understand, but I don't, huh? What? Yeah, or... When we look at the millennial kingdom entering into the seventh day, the day of the Lord, what is the very first thing that's going to take place? A wedding. You know, that's part of Rosh Hashanah. The wedding of the bride and the bridegroom are going to become one. And so even in this language of the scripture, is there a hidden word in this? And I would tell you that Part of the beauty of what God has done 
is his word is an allegorical and metaphorical word. In other words, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Well, obviously, and Jesus isn't a lamb, but he is representative of what the work of the Messiah would do. The lamb was the blood that saved them back in the days of Egypt, but it would be this lamb, the lamb of God, or the servant of God, or however you want to put it, that that blood would be the one that's going to save you and bring you out of Egypt and bring you into the promised land. So, you know, the word throughout the entire Bible has an element of being very metaphorical and very allegorical. And I want to read you uh, these definitions where you can, you can get them. Um, and Because, and, you know, I'm, I don't know all this stuff. My wife probably does. But a metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or a phrase denoting one kind of object, a lamb, or action is used in place of another to suggest a likeness or an analogy between them. And in that case, we just said it. The lamb at Egypt, the blood on the doorpost. Now we have the lamb of God, the door, blood on the doorpost of the heart. You know, there's an analogy going on, and God laid that way back here, and he structured it where you get the big picture of the big boy when it finally came. But it didn't change the, their picture. That really happened, you know, but it was building. The person being addressed, oh, excuse me. Oh, yeah. All right, between them and the person being addressed. And like, say, I said to Lisa, you're a peach. Lisa, you're a peach. And that's <laughs> with the suggestion being that the person is pleasing or delightful in the way that a peach is pleasing to the taste. And metaphors are all through the Bible, you know, and they're really pointing you. I think this is the spiritual, you know, uh, ladder that we begin to unravel that we can actually gain a greater understanding of God's word or what he's doing in a bigger picture. But if we get focused on the little <coughs> tiny process and then we... We, 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 we disprove everything and we don't see uh, the, that which is spiritual within it, then we really miss the point of the story. And there are other many examples of that, but allegorical story or poem or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political one. Like uh, it says, the one example on the definition says, Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory of the spiritual journey. Probably shouldn't have read that. But anyway, because I'm not sure I understood that Pilgrim's Progress. Maybe That's you, a movie. Oh, is it? That was a book that was written. Well, was a well there you go. Like See, I just don't have time to read it. <laughs> <laughs> I you. just watched the remake movie of it. Yeah, so it's, it, and I got it now, Pilgrim's Progress. How many of y'all knew about Pilgrim's Progress? Everybody but you. No, I have a few. Hey, <laughs> I got a few more in my camp. And uh, uh, anyway. 50 years ago, you didn't have to know. Yeah, yeah. But, but, it, but it is. It's a, it, 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 like, like you said, it's a story 
and about a spiritual journey. You know, there was something hidden within the story, and we see that all the time. Well, it's like the, your, your, your journey to follow God and to follow Christ and redemption, salvation, and all of that. Yeah, so. Really? Wow. Man, I really don't. I, I have to stop. They had a class going on downstairs. Okay. We're, we're just hoping this works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Let, let, let's take another example that really is important to what we're all talking about. And that is uh, the teaching on the moon. Now, we don't talk about the moon much because, you know, hey, it's just the moon, right? But it's also a parallel uh, to the spiritual journey of the believer. Now, we got this little uh, catchphrase, if a man not be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so when we take that phrase, born again, there's only one real uh, 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 application of that phrase, which is to deal with the moon. We have the moon going from darkness, totally covered in darkness, and then the little sliver comes out. And at that point in time, it's as if though the, the, the moon through its phases has been born again. And it's going to what? It's going to grow until it becomes full. And that's in the 15 days after the sighting of the new moon. I always, a buddy of mine, I used to always tell him, well, on a Jewish calendar, if you can know the Jewish calendar date, and it, 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 when it's uh, the 15th of the month on a Jewish <clears throat> calendar, you will always know it's a full moon. <laughs> he used to go, what? Because, you know, if you go out on any 15th of a Jewish calendar, not yours, but the Jewish calendar, the 15th is going to be a full moon because there, the moon and the pattern of the moon is going through the and every cycle you go back through the the next cycle you go back into the moon goes into total darkness and then once again you know the little sliver is born and once it's born you know it the moon is born again and it goes back through the phases again and we do that how many times a year uh, a year <laughs> thought you'd give me some. That's actually 11.4 because of 29 days. <laughs> you go with 12, though. Uh, one month and two full months. Well, you know, the, but really? what, be, wow. yeah, in your, and, and probably the Gregorian calendar. <laughs> there you go, you know. <laughs> so, But it has to be a 15th, but they add another month in Judaism every four years. They put that extra day. That's how you see Passover flipping from early spring to late spring to keep the seasons in line. And they, you know, they've done this astrologically through intelligence of how things really work, and they've come in, and man has come in with power to, you know, make the day, make everything line up. But the, the, the real thought is here is that, uh, you know, that the moon is actually the signpost. It's the signpost of God. So when we get to Rosh Hashanah, right, and uh, uh, it is the only festival that begins with the sighting of the new moon. It's very important. So when we come to Tishrei 1, right, then that is the beginning of the year. 
And there's a passage in your Bible. It probably is in the NIV. It's not in everybody's version. And I'm not sure I can put my finger right on it. Okay, uh, go over to Hosea 6. And of course, this is a very messianic, uh, um, you know, idea here in um, Hosea 6, verse 1. And I'm looking for a particular phrase that actually isn't in the NIV. But it says, uh, verse 1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. I think we're there now. And on the third day, back to the wedding, he will restore us. So in the seventh day, which will be the third day, after his coming and the first coming, he's going to restore them. And let us acknowledge the Lord and let us press on to, the, to acknowledge him as surely as the sun, S-U-N, rises, he will appear. And he will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Now who has a version that has the phrase added in the first month? Anybody? Hmm? What'd you say? <laughs> oh, uh, at the end of verse 3, does anybody have the, uh, 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 the uh, terminology in the first month? No? Too bad. Um, yeah, latter and former rains, right? When, when, are, when are the latter and former rains? Latter's the spring, former's the fall. You got that in your Bible, Lisa? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Yes. <laughs> I'm writing it in there. Uh, okay, so the latter rains are in the springs, right? And I, I know it's in there, in a version it says in the first month. So, if you're going to have spring rains and fall rains, or latter rains and former rains, how is it possible they be in the first month? This is why they took it out in a lot of cases. How is that possible in the first month? Huh? Depends on the calendar, right? Depends on the calendar. Well, <laughs> the calendar, when do these start? These start in Nisan 1. And when do these start? These start in Tishrei 1. Right? These, these begin the fall rains. You know, this begins Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. You know, Feast of Tabernacles. This is involving 
uh, Nisan 1, the Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits. But both of them actually, as we both know, actually are in the first month. But you wouldn't know that if somebody didn't tell you that in a, in, a, in a biblical calendar that this is the first month in the civil calendar and this is the first month in the religious calendar. But they couldn't put, you know, all these great scholars, the Jews kind of had this down, but that's how they understood it, but we couldn't understand it, so most of these fr- uh, translations just dropped it because it didn't you make sense. You got a bad translation. What? You got a bad translation. Yeah. Real bad. <laughs> <laughs> Super you know, bad, not just real bad. If you understand Exodus, then then you understand which is first and which is you know seventh, because that's when he changes it. That's right. So, and everybody knows that, right? Exodus. Y'all know that, right? Y'all learned that that in Exodus twelve, from that day forward, God establishes a sacred calendar of events, and that, think about it. Out of all the things that have been happening from that day forward, he's going to take that which comes in what we call Egypt, right? And and from that day forward, Egypt's going to become the starting point of when God is going to take Israel out as a nation, his firstborn. But his goal is not just to bring Israel. His goal is to bring all of the nations back, all of creation. So... But that's why you see this in the, the actual, you know, religious calendar being the guiding light because that's what's happening first. This happened first, but notice in this passage here, which is really interesting, that he will come like the winter rains and like the spring rains. That what, you know, that's almost like, well, wait a second. How can they both occur at the same time? And see, I think it's what it's really telling you is that when they get into the seventh day, you know, and the rain is a is symbolic, once again, of what? Restoration. You know, life, really. Water from the rock. We're going to starve to death out here and thirst to death. You know, water from the rock. Wells of living water will flow from your innermost being. It's really more representative of the Holy Spirit. So he, he's really telling you in the third or the third day or the seventh day that when he would come, the day of the Lord, the Jewish people are going to be, even though Hosea is dealing with the story of adultery and whoredom, in the seventh day, in the millennium, when the beginning of it, he's going to come back and they're going to not only be believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they're going to also receive the Holy Spirit and be empowered at the time that this has happened. That's why we believe that he's going to pour out his spirit in greater measure than he ever has before because the kingdom of God's fixing to come to earth and it's going to be manifested right there in Israel. So, you know, and then the whole world. But anyway, um, if you uh, over, if you turn over to Genesis uh, 28... I do believe, but I may be wrong. Yeah, Genesis 28. You've got an important story. And Jesus is going and he's taking that which their history and culture and teaching and these, these men's mind as Jews 
obviously knew something about, that they were, and, and the reason he would know is that the, the, the Torah, reading of the Torah, which I will say at this case is the first five books, was done in a structured manner through these synagogues. So if you came in when they started over at the, after the feast of, 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 uh, um, of the festival of um, a Tabernacle, then they would begin to start over from Genesis 1, and you were to stay there the whole year. If they were on an annual cycle, you would go through everything in the first five books in that, that year. It wasn't until later that I think that they actually broke it into a three-and-a-half-year cycle. But, you know, the bottom line is is that they would know this. It says in uh, verse um, uh, 10, it says uh, in chapter 28, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran when he reached a certain place. He stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep, and he had a dream which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord God of your father Abraham and the God of Jacob, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying, and your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. How many people are going to get, be blessed? Everybody. All. all the people. I am with you and, and will watch over you. Wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So anybody want to said. All that was in, this is now, and that's not going to happen. There are a lot of people that don't believe. They believe that this is not going to happen. We're just going to keep living right like we're going, and we're going to eventually die, and another generation will come up, and it'll go, and eventually the end will come. But we don't believe that. And it says, um, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and was not aware of it, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And notice his, his terminology there. The house of God. This, uh, this is the gate of heaven. And then early next morning, Jacob took a stone. He placed it under his head and set it, set it up as a pillar. And he, he what? He mashiached it and poured oil on top of it. And, you know, thus begins the essence of the anointing of stones and things of this nature, uh, eventually ending uh, with Jesus. But um, notice that, you know, that there, what he's really saying here, actually Jesus is restating to Nathaniel. And he's telling him that you're going to see greater things than this. You're going to see heaven open and angels in, uh, and descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. In other words, whether we like, it's like a portal. I, I know I don't, so maybe that's a bad word for us in this day and age, but it's, it's as if though the portal is opened, you know, from heaven to earth, and this is where God, and I tell people, you know, if you go and read in Josephus, one of the miracles of the temple 
was the wind could be blowing 25 miles an hour, but the smoke from the altar always went straight up. Well, that's supernatural. <laughs> always, and that's what, you know, people think, well, that can't happen. No, it's supernatural. You know, and that's why when all the great stories are supernatural, you know. So if you don't, if science doesn't take anything into consideration that involves supernatural, they deal with facts. This just can't be. We throw a rock, we get a ripple, you know, all of these things. But they, they, they have no way for in their, their thinking supernatural. You know, when you throw that in, that, I, and I believe that's why these little things like, and they crossed over on dry ground. Makes no sense. Water's dried up, we got a mud hole. But when God dries, wa- draws the water up, it's dry ground, which, you know, made it easier for them to cross, you know. But we see all those kind of things, you know, that are, that are in. And I think those little things are in there to, uh, you know, tip us off about, um, various things that we, we come in contact with. So, all this being said, you know, we we really, um, I'll read this. It says, this opens the door to learning how the biblical narrative is teaching the truth on how all Scripture is a part of, re- of God's redemptive plan or the work of God. Every bit of it, the volume of the book, you know, Jesus, uh, or that's quoted, it says, is written of me, you know. He's the agent of redemption. So this is all about redeeming the earth. It's all about those who want to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, that's when they come to uh, Christ and they can enter into uh, the kingdom of God. Now, I believe that the truth is revealed to individual believers as God sees fit. Well, that means that you can still be a believer, but you could have something wrong. And it goes around the, you know, group, you know, wherever they are, you know. But God can reveal the truth as it really is to individuals as he sees fit. Obviously, he did that with the 12 disciples or the 11 afterwards, and then Paul, you know, they saw things from a perspective that they never understood prior to that being empowered by the Holy Spirit. The things really became a reality in their mind where they could articulate it. And that was part of their amazement. You know, these guys are just fishermen, aren't they? (laughs) You know, and yet they're standing and speaking as though they were scholars of, of truth that only rabbis and people that studied for a lifetime had these deeper understandings, and they did. Because they worked so hard in it, they really did have a, uh, a thing. That, and, and, and that's why I love Jewish material, because it's not all just poppycock and bad conclusion. Some of their stuff is uh, brilliant uh, beyond me. It has to be the hand of God, you know, working through it. Isn't that where the Holy Spirit came in, though? To help those fishermen understand. Absolutely, you know we're helping us too. You know we're not we're not we're not left out of that. You know this revealing though that adds to one's understanding and knowledge for one reason, and that is really the purpose of carrying out the ministry of reconciliation. Every single one of us have a job 
at some part, at some level, to really reconciling mankind to the to God's kingdom and in, in, in doing what I do. You know, uh, it, it, it's the opportunities are there. You know, now whether we want to go out with the what I call the sledgehammer, you know, wherever we go. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you about Jesus, honey. Come here. You know, <laughs> or we find a way that, and I believe God gives people uh, gifts in in certain ways that are more effective. You know. Um, you know, I, I, I had, <laughs> I was over there at my, one of my places and, and uh, they were getting dish satellite and we were waiting for the guy to show up, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> and I got to talking to the fella and uh, he was a black dude, older guy actually. And uh, I said, well, how long have you been doing this for dish? He said, 18 years. <laughs> I said, good Lord. You gotta be a seasoned veteran. He said, "Been there longer than anybody else." <laughs> and, and anyway, uh, uh, I don't even know how it got started, but we just started. You know, I kind of just, you know, there was something about this guy that, you know, I, I just, you know, felt and sensed. And so uh, we were just talking in general about uh, the things, the way things are. And he began to tell me that his daughter. Uh, which is a good girl, raised in church. You know, he began to talk to me about these things and said that uh, she was, um, she said, Daddy, our boyfriends are going to move in <laughs> to the apartment. And I told her, I said, uh, uh, I told you, he said, fornication, what good's it going to do you? You know, the more I talked to this guy, the more I began to believe that he really was more involved in the church than just a regular goer. He never said he was, but he had a story in his, um, even in all this political stuff, and he began to, you know, share it with me and everything. And uh, and so it was just another one of those days where, you know, at the end of the day, it was a good deal to go and actually feel like you ran across a guy that was on the same path and road you were on. He ministered to you or you ministered to him? Well, we both talked to each other, good. you know, and it was good, you know. And that's what I'm saying, you know, that it's good that you don't always, you know, it's like you don't, you're already on the road. You don't need any help. That's good, you know. And, uh, but I'm just saying that there are all kinds of ways that we can be involved in doing the, uh, a, a reconciliation manner. It's not just the guy sitting down here in the pulpit or the guy on TV. or It's really all of us. And that's really what we need to learn. And we need to be trying to take the knowledge that we can gain and understand of the gracefulness of God and the love of God, uh, you know, mixed with his obedience factor and try to help people realize, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm really kind of in a bad way right now because I feel really we're real close. And I just don't want to think that there's going to be someone that didn't at least hear someone say, you never know. It could be as early as this fall. You know, of course, they always like, you know, you know, you, you, you've heard it after 30 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't, you know, hard for us to really, and I believe that was the thing that, you know, and I don't want to finish with this because I know we got to go. It's 731. Yeah, that 
we, we should live in expectation that this is it. And I believe that's what's so good about the festival more than anything else. You start with Passover, you go through the year honoring the, the, the Sabbath of God that God wants us to see and hear those spiritual messages from, and we have that expectation that when Rosh Hashanah comes, this could be the year. And if that doesn't do a little bit to get your heart right and your mind right, to think that you could be standing in the presence of God in the throne room of God, then you probably go, need to go back and get another dipping somewhere. <laughs> go, go get some dipping dot ice cream or something because, you know, that, that, is a, that has a purifying effect. And if you look at what happened at Moses' mountain at Mount Sinai, what did he tell them? For two days, I want you to abstain from sexual relation, wash your clothes, which is symbolic, allegorical of you being made clean by your garments and everything, that there's going to be a cleansing of the people as we get closer to the moment that he's going to come down. And when that happens, it's going to be glorious, and we want to be as ready, and we want to, we want, you know, I know I'm like, y'all want your children, you want your friends, you want your neighbors, you want your dog, we'll take him too, you know, we want everybody to be ready, right? All right, well, we'll close, and then we kind of got, according to the message that came out to, from the church, that they want to kind of see us heading toward the door at 7.30 and not 8, Right? You didn't get that? that well, that you can go to bat for it, then we'll be right here. We'll be here at, well, let's say, a closing prayer, and then we'll, if somebody's got anything they want to add, we'll go from there, and then we'll move out if not. And Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for your blessing. And it gives, you give us every day that we wake up, every one of us, you know, we're all bonded together in the love that you've given us through our, your son and our Lord. And uh, we just thank you for that. You know, we ask for you to, uh, as much as we uh, love you, we, we love our kids and our family, and we just ask you to protect us and uh, uh, lead us and guide us and give us strength and uh, keep us on target for what the most important things are and prepare us, Lord, for your work that we can bring more glory to you and what you're doing about your kingdom and, and our Lord, uh, Master Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if anybody's got anything,